Welcome to the Innovation in Government show sponsored by Kerasoft. Each month we'll talk with industry experts who enable innovation and make government more responsive and secure by advancing key technologies. Now here's your host, Jason Miller. Welcome to Innovation in Government sponsored by Kerasoft. I'm your host, Jason Miller. My guest today is Jim Walker, the Director of Public Sector Marketing for UiPath. Jim, welcome to the discussion. Thanks. Before we get started, let me set some context for our discussion. Few technologies over the last 20 years have gotten as much attention and created as much, we'll call it early value, as robotics process automation. Agencies ranging from NASA to GSA to Bureau of Fiscal Service to the Defense Logistics Agency have implemented bots and expect to save tens of millions of dollars in the coming years. And the excitement and thirst for this technology is being driven by the president's management agenda's goal of moving federal employees from low value to high value work. The Trump administration believes technologies like RPA is part of that answer. Now this is because agencies have found success in using RPA to tackle repetitive, menial tasks like copying and pasting text into forms. In fact, Deloitte's Center for Government Insight said in 2017 that RPA could save agencies as much as $41.1 billion over the next seven years. But with like any technology, there are challenges to overcome and potholes to avoid. Some estimate that as much as 50% of all RPA projects fail because organizations automate bad processes or because the bot is an add-on and not a long-term approach or because the RPA tool isn't reviewed and approved to make sure it's meeting the agency's goals. So how can agencies take advantage of this exciting new technology, save money, improve business processes, and move employees to higher value work? Well, that's where our guest comes in, Jim Walker, the Director of Public Sector Marketing for UiPath. So people hear bots, people hear robotics process automation. Let's define really what that means because uh, so people aren't confused that it's the robot taking your job. It's just a software application that's running on your computer but it's built for finance people. Like, for example, the GSA, they retrain some of their own staff and they have developed their own internal bots now and, and are out using those, those bots. But it's not uh, a piece of machinery that sits next to the desk and does something for a person. It's a software application that's running. And then let's dig just a little bit deeper. That software, you're basically telling it what to do. I need you to take from column A, put it in column B, and then calculate into column C, and do it over and over and over again, versus Jim Walker, the financial analyst, having to copy-paste, calculate. Exactly right. So some people would want to say that it's, it's a software and you're developing and all that. I would prefer to use the phrase training. You train the bot to do what your person does or your people. If you're the Veterans Administration, you have 900 people that do the same claims recovery every day, and you automate 50% of that activity for them, well, that afternoon, if, if that's working, you've doubled the capacity of the VA to work on those backlogged activities because they are now working in conjunction with a, their bot, their, their personal intern, if you will, doing those repetitive tasks uh, that nobody's upset about not having to do. And I think that's the key here, and that's why there is so much excitement around it, is because people have said, well, I've done this for so long, you know, if I would give up anything, I don't have to copy and paste anymore, or, or as you said, I can get through this backlog more quickly. Is, is that why you think this has caught on? Because one, it's easy to understand, and two, it's really taking things away from people that they don't want to do anyways. Absolutely. I would use the phrase, instead of low value and high value, I would call it necessary work. All of the work that a clerk does to get a file ready to be adjudicated for, for a payment back to a veteran or for some type of manifest at, at one of our logistics agencies, you have to do that work. It's necessary to get to the more meaningful, let's call that high value work, that meaningful work that says, I'm doing analysis on a report. 
I'm sitting in a meeting talking about a new policy and I don't have to worry about the backlog of work that's piling up at my desk because my bot is sitting there doing that work for me. Now, one thing about RPA and, and bots is th there's this fear of them, them, right? Like, well, what does it really mean for me? I've been doing this job for 15 years. I've been doing this job for 20 years. What's it mean for me? And I think you started going down that path a little bit when you talk about don't talk high value or low value, but, but necessary work. Are, are you seeing agencies recognize, and, and that's why bots are becoming more popular, becoming something that's, that's more easily accepted? Because, I mean, you've been in this a long time. You, we've talked about different technologies for years, and. People go, well, I don't know about that, or well, I'm not sure about that. But for RPA, at least from my perspective, they've seemed to jump in much, much cleaner, you know, both feet and down waist deep and let's get going. There's always a fear of, of the change that's coming into a work environment. And yet when you think about it, all we've ever had in a work environment is change, right? We don't have the Navy, the US Navy doesn't float around with big masts and ships anymore. Columbus floated over on a 97 foot ship an aircraft carries over 1,000 feet now, 5,000 people versus 50, all kinds of technology on that ship. When we learned how to get out of sailing and how to self-propel a ship, we didn't lose anything, we gained. And I think you would find over time, we, we got rid of telephone operators. Sure we did. And now we have all kinds of people that are not only in the phone industry, but they're in the, the side issues of that, of making new phone cases and new cup holders for your, your phone, all kinds of new things that can be developed, but if it's your job today, you understand what you're saying, well, where am I in that? Let's talk about some of the benefits of RPA. You've, you, you, it's catching on. We, I brought up the high level cost savings and moving people to better value work, but, but th those are the obvious ones. Maybe talk me through some of the, the maybe less obvious ones that are, are beneficial. Take an Army uh, Aviation Depot. They are processing helicopters every day taking them apart, putting them together, inspecting the parts, and refurbishing that, that helicopter. If you could refurbish that helicopter in half of the time that you're doing it today, it would be better for the Army. There would be more aircraft out doing Army activities and mission support. What we've, we see is in, in logistics places is the, the staff spend most of their day checking for a part. And if the part's not on hand, they're ordering the part. And if that part's not in the supply room, they've got to then order it downrange. Why not just tell the bot, here are the parts that I need. If they're on hand, order them and bring them to us. If they're not, tell the supply guy I need more. If not, automatically order when you get below a certain threshold. And so then the person who is sitting there looking at a part has a lot of time to look at that part and say, serviceable or not serviceable. Now, that, that's a great example because a lot of people don't think about the, 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 that longer term benefit. It's like, if you're, it's like the refrigerator, we always talk about these smart refrigerators, the IOT devices that will tell you, you know, order your milk from Amazon or something when you're out of milk. I mean, it's that same concept is they know exactly the, the, the piece of software or if you are using electronic inventory and that inventory says five and now it's down to two or one, the bot can be told automatically, go order a new one or go order five more. And that way you always kind of have that, that cycle going versus, Oh, Jim, I forgot to tell you to order that new part. All right, we'll get it in a week. And I think that gets lost sometimes in the discussion. How do you kind of explain that to the users? Like, is that an easy explanation? Thus far, the folks that we deal with at, at a DLA or at a NASA Shared Services Center, they actually will talk about the fact that they have a backlog from their staff asking for something of that necessary work 
could be automated for because they would prefer to get into that. I mean, think if you're at a hospital, the Veterans Administration has a really innovative team out in Nebraska at one of the hospitals, not in their IT shop, not in their think tanks and CTOs, but just a person who saw robotics. And he said, I have a problem. Congress is allowing, passed the legislation that allowed veterans to go downtown. And so veterans are going downtown and getting their service faster when, when it's not available. But the unintended consequences are the doctors are putting the, the files in a file, mailing it back to the VA. So the chief of staff at that hospital says, I have a 96-inch stack of paper every day that we have to scan and electronically file. And we did a proof of concept, so I wouldn't argue that this proof of concept has a lot of security around it yet. But in two days, we built a bot that when the file comes in and gets scanned by a person, the bot then begins to electronically store that information. And you say, well, that's great. That's interesting. It's better than interesting. That means that that veteran who comes back in a week later and his paper's not stuck in that 96 inches doesn't have a doctor say, you don't have your last report. I can't see you. And the doctor's not wasting his or her time saying, if it's not here, I've, I've wasted 15 minutes waiting on you. And so a doctor overall, they may be able to see another two patients a week, all because of RPA taking away that necessary work and just allowing people to do that person-to-person activity. It'd be really great if, if somehow the bot could scan the documents too. <laughs> but that's, then we get into that robot thing and people get all freaky. Exactly. About, exactly. Talk maybe a little bit about the state of RPA today. Like when you look at, talk to agencies, I know there's a lot of interest. A lot of people are talking about it. There's a lot of good use cases out there. GSA, DLA is two of them that I can think of. NASA is one, your former home agency. But where are we more generally? Is, is it still in that that hype curve or, or, or are we out of the hype curve? I would argue that the administration's doing everything they can to help you get it out of the hype curve. Uh, the president recently signed his executive order for the American Artificial Intelligence Initiative that says do more R&D. You know, the, nothing better than to get that. And someone said, well, it's an unfunded mandate. Not if you use your RPA to generate some savings yeah. and, and start letting those savings generate additional artificial intelligence work. The federal CIO, Suzette Kent, is doing a magnificent job. She announced last fall that she's going to have an RPA-type academy where she wants to retrain non-technical people to be prepared to work in and around the robotics environment. You know, usually government is five years behind on policy. And right now, they're making a really good stab at staying right up in current. As far as agencies, probably 25 agencies are using it now, 30, somewhere in there. They're all starting to see returns on investments. But I would almost contend that we ought to declare last 2018 as the year of pilots and that agencies ought to be asked, where's that $500,000 savings? Where's that $2 million savings that you can get if you automate that necessary work and free people up? And it's interesting you bring up OMB. I know one of the things that Suzette Kent mentioned recently I think December timeframe, as she kind of looked back at 2018 and looked forward to 2019, was a policy on robotics process automation. Now, I haven't seen a copy. I guess you probably haven't either yet. All right. Well, I was hoping for a little news here. I was hoping you would tell us what it was about. But uh, I think that's a recognition, if nothing else, 
that some government-wide standards, some government-wide understanding of what bots are. Do they need PIV cards, right? I know your old uh, agency, NASA, had that challenge and they ended up getting you know, identity management cards, uh, smart ID cards for their robot. And I think that type of thing is what will be addressed in the policy. I think those are some of the unanswered questions. The thing I like about the 25, 30 agencies that have done something is they said, we don't have to wait for perfection. You know, if you're automating within your own network, the whole credentials outside the network's not nearly as critical. It still requires a, a waiver from a security perspective, but there's a lot of automation you can do just inside your building while you're waiting to figure out a better model. And some of these, the NASA with the PIV card thing is a, is a, was a great thing because it allowed us to move forward. Uh, the defense logistics agencies using some hardware. So there's, there's this whole think tank of activities out there versus everyone just sitting waiting for the right solution. You bring up an interesting point about a lot of automation within the agency. Uh, is that where most of these pilots, most of these efforts are, are right now versus outside the agency somehow? For us, you know, if I'm a customer who comes in and, and requests something that you know, is, is maybe not as automated? Yeah, one thing that we're seeing is, so, so I sit there and, and automate a process and I have to reach across to another agency for data. That's where the stumbling block is because the other agency is like, well, we don't want a bot in our stuff. Now, the fact that their people do that exact same work, they still don't want to let a bot do that. And, and to their credit, if a bot gets in there and does it 100,000 times in 15 minutes, it could create a denial of service. But part of the effort that you do with the bot is you figure out how to throttle it to make sure that, you know, check and see if that system is busy right now. If it is, reschedule yourself because you don't want to get in there and create a problem for that system. I definitely want to go into the challenges of robotics process automation. Uh, before I do that, I want to also go back to something else you said. Let's declare 2018 the year of the pilot and let's move on. Did you get a sense that, that so many pilots happened over the last year, year and a half, that agencies have a good understanding of what this technology is, what, what it can do, and most importantly, as I said, where to apply it smartly? I definitely think they figured out it's going to run securely on their networks. It's not going to go off and do its own thing. I heard that over and over, and I'm like, <laughs> it's it, going to take it, over my network. Right, right it now. has no way to not do what it's told to do. Now, if you don't test it, well, but but you test your other software today, and you look for all types of different anomalies. You know, so if you test it right, it's proven out that it's going to run securely on government networks, and so it is an opportunity to finally sit down and say, let's don't save fifty dollars. Let's really find and save dollars for the agency that, in the case of the AAII um, executive order, we can repurpose dollars into doing even more with artificial intelligence and bringing it into the system. All right, very good. Let's take a quick break. When we come back, we will jump into those potholes a little bit and tell people what to avoid. You're listening to the discussion Innovation in Government, sponsored by Kerasoft on Federal News Radio, part of the Federal News Network. UiPath is the leading robotic process automation tool being used across the federal government and DOD today. Agencies struggling to upgrade agency legacy systems, reduce their manually intensive processes, and eliminate repetitive work. Found UiPath offers a world-class solution. Join ACT-IACT, leading federal RPA practitioners, and UiPath for an automation first day on April 25th at the Marriott Marquis. To learn more, visit UiPath.com government. That's UiPath.com government. Welcome back. You're listening to the discussion Innovation in Government, sponsored by Kerasoft on Federal News Radio, part of the Federal News Network. I'm your host, Jason Miller. My guest is Jim Walker, the Director of Public Sector Marketing for UiPath. Now, Jim, before break, we were talking about why 2018 was the year of pilot, and we got to move into 2019 and really get some savings out of it. 
But with any new technology and any time you start saying, let's, let's jump in, not just knee deep, but let's get waist deep and shoulder deep, you're going to worry about some challenges, some potholes. From your experiences working with agencies, what are some potholes, what are some challenges that you're, you commonly see? The first thing we've seen a year ago was a lot of, uh, of the business in would go to a conference and they would be surrounded by other businesses and they would say, leave your CIO out of it. Don't bring your CIO in, they just mess it up. Well, they don't have Fatara that has a legal responsibility for your CIO to be responsible for software. And I, quite frankly, don't know how you would build your server and build your workstations for your bots without your CIO. The act of training the bot to do finance work or training the bot to do procurement work, that I think is a business activity. But the actual getting it on the system, getting it on secure, having everything checked is a, is a combined and collaborative effort. And the, the agencies that are doing that are, are getting to the table, getting it served up, and starting to have a robotics program versus the ones that get started and then the, the process pulls them back. I think it's interesting because I think a lot of people believe that training the bot's a technology thing too, right? Well, I don't understand this technology, I can't program software. Is that a, kind of maybe a misnomer that people think that UiPath or your competitors take care of that end of it? Hey, what do you want it to do? Again, column A, column B, do column C. You guys can, can take care of the software side of that. So agencies have a choice and, and you know, there's a lot of experiments going on right now, but the, the post office is, has trained their own staff and they are building all of their activities. There are other agencies that have said, let's bring in a, an integrator, right? And we've got some great partners out there that, are, that have well-trained staffs, and they're bringing them in to say, automate these things for us first. Uh, there's that hybrid model that we were using at the NASA Shared Services Center initially, where we thought about bringing in a, an integrator and having them over a period of time, but also having them train our organic staff, right? And so, you really need to look at the model that works best for the culture that is at the agency, but there's definitely no, uh, no need for, you know, this is not a level four software developer task. I think that's interesting to know because I think from someone who covers technology, spends a lot of time with technology, I would not, I have no clue of what, what goes into creating a bot. But and I want to get into the workforce in a little while, but is one of the challenges, one, trying to do it yourself, or two, not doing it yourself and just throwing it over the fence to either the CIO or the vendor saying, just make this do A, B, and C. Is, is that another challenge you see? It, it could be. So, so let me tell you how, how simple we think it is. So UiPath prides itself on saying that we want to democratize robotics. So we have an academy that anyone in the world can lo log on to, sign up, and learn to build bots. We started last night in downtown D.C. in an organization called biteback.org. They've been in the D.C. area for years. They train people uh, who have been displaced to do basic computer technology and train them to be call center agents. We started last night with a wonderful group of 11 people who at 6 p.m. on a Tuesday night, I figured would be dead tired. When we finished up last night at 9 o'clock, they were as excited as they were at 6 o'clock. Right? And we were taking them through the business analyst role and eventually through the developer's course, right, with an opportunity based on what we hear from our integrators for an opportunity for jobs, for those students who are successful in this, because our integrators can't find enough yep. trained developers to do this. You keep wanting to take me out of the workforce, but I'm just trying to make sure we hit all the potholes. Is there, is there another one that you've seen recently? Is, it, is there anything on the contracting side? Is there anything on the data side? Because uh, one of the, as I've did, done some research and reported on the use of RPA, there's a concern 
about whether it's the right process or there's a concern about do we even have the right data to, to, for the bots to process. Right. Do you see those as hiccups? Yeah, so you could make the argument that your data is corrupt or not clean, so you're going to wait. But why not use the bot to make all your data from today forward clean? And you can use another bot to start cleaning up that data. It's, it's the wait attitude that seems to be lost opportunity right now. Why not automate some simple processes and free some people up to go work on that data problem? Right now, they're busy doing that necessary work of the data and not, let's get the data cleaned up. I think, I think that's it's huge because so many times in government, there's at least a feeling was, we gotta wait till it's perfect or wait till it's you know the 80 to 90% solution. And what you seem to be saying is in many ways, sometimes the 50% solution is okay, or even the 30% solution. If, if all data from today going forward is clean, then that's an important step forward versus well, what about all this you know, five years of data or 20 years of data we have to worry about? Right. I think that, that type of thinking doesn't always come through in the government. When you have those conversations with federal executives, do they get it or are they still like, well, but what about all this data back here? Yeah, so lots of them do. The Treasury Department's executives are, are really forward-leaning on this. Uh, GSA's CFO you know, falls over his skis with it. He's it's so excited. It's a great excited. story. Yeah. Very much so, GSA, yeah. 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 And, you know, there's a whole waterfall mentality that everything is in a one thing after the other. But a few years ago when this phrase of agile came up, you know, I would just say it's flexible. But if I have a process where I could automate all of the emails that come in so that no person has to open an email, that's only going to take me a week or so to, to get completely done and tested. And then I can look at another part of my process and my 15-step process that if I fix that, I would chip away at another 12%. And I can do those in two and three and four week chunks instead of that traditional waterfall where we spend three months on a requirements document trying to determine when we're going to use the word will and when we're going to use the word shall, right? And then I take it back as, an, and as a CIO and develop it for three months and bring it back and they go, well, that's not what we described. You know, and three months later, well, the developers fixed it for you. And so you're into a year before you get anything from it, whereas I just want the emails to come in and file into our ticketing system. That's a two-week development cycle. Yeah. It's a continuous improvement. You bring up Agile, DevOps, whatever we're going to call it. It's right. continuous improvement. I think that's key. Let's go down the path of, of the workforce. You brought it up. I think the Reskilling Academy you mentioned yes. earlier, this was at Kent, and then the one you just mentioned with that, that UiPath is working is, is a great example. Are federal employees, are, are they getting their employees ready to understand and implement bots and to use bots to their full capability? Or where are we with that kind of uh, change that has to occur? The customers that I run into that are seeing it want to know how to be a part of it. I mean, I finished my last computer class in 93 and haven't had to take one. I've been able to use that skill since then. If you're at the beginning of the artificial intelligence curve, you know, that is probably going to spike a whole lot faster than anybody thinks, starting with RPA as an artificial intelligence and, and developing that structured data and getting it all out of the way, makes you ready for that next thing. And when you get promoted from your job that you're in now, you take that up as a supervisor and say, wait, we should automate that. There's no reason for our staff to be doing that. We want to get in front of people. We want to do necessary and, and work and let the bots do those, and we want to do that meaningful work. And that, I think, has to start today with understanding, okay, what the bots are, which we covered in the beginning, but also how can they be applied and what's the best way to apply them 
because it's it's not a panacea. We hear that all the time about technology, but it, it's a time and a place. And I think that's part of that education is, is when will a bot make sense and when it doesn't. And, and we're getting enough data collected now. Uh, GSA had a great example. Ed Burroughs talks about it all the time. They were evaluating 10 processes for automation. And one of the first few bots they autom- looked at, what they realized we don't even really use that process. It's just been part of the bureaucracy for a while. And so they're more efficient today because they've eliminated something. They didn't give it to a bot. They didn't keep it with a person. They got rid of it. They also is at that other end of the spectrum. Your CIO is there to work on major activities, things that do require a level four developer. And so when you're scoring, you're trying to toss out the two at the bottom and you're trying to toss out the two at the top over the fence to the CIO in that case. And then you're left with those sweet spots in the middle that we're going to use it as a Band-Aid for the next two or three years before the CIO can, can get it fixed on his, his roadmap. That's a great Band-Aid if it's saving me four or $500,000 a year. That's a great example of GSA looking at their processes and realizing, well, we don't even do this. Why, why are we going to automate something we don't do? I, I think you see that in so many other areas, OMB and their policy. They're rescinding you know, Y2K policies. They're, they're rescinding policies that have been overtaken by other policies. And, and I think sometimes you just need to clean up the attic a little bit. And, and I think RPA gives you that example because it's a reason to step back and, and take a look. How often does that happen at other agencies? Uh, when you walk in and start working with them, how often do you find that agencies are going, yeah, we, had, we thought we'd do 23 and 10 of them we don't even use. So we don't find a, a ton of those, but what we do find that's kind of fun to watch is we have this policy and you build, someone builds a bot, you show it to the staff, they're like, we can't do it that way. Well, that's because they've been doing it the wrong way for years, right? Put five people in a room and give them one policy, they do it six different ways. And so one of the things that this bot does is instead of we go through all the trouble to put standards together, put everybody on an airplane, and by the time they get home, they figured out how to personalize it for their own use, you now get to say this bot will do this one thing for you five people every time the same way. So we can start having true standards. And I think that's what something else that is a big benefit of bots is not just... Uh, the ability to take off these redundant menial tasks, but to do them right each time. And listen, we're not going to, you know, bots, generally speaking, you correct me if I'm wrong, don't fat fat finger keys, right? Right. Hit a three instead of a two. And uh, generally they don't get tired. So they can work, you know, 24 by seven. So they can process things more easily. Is that why this is so attractive as well? I mean, is it it all these benefits that are just so obvious that that people get excited about RPA? Think every agency has a purchase card person. That purchase card person gets in a thousand lines a day of purchases, and they have to reconcile that at the end of the month. You know, so twenty days in a work month, they've got twenty thousand lines of code to go, or lines of of um, expenses to look at against the bill that came in. Nobody wakes up in the morning and says, "I get to do that again." <laughs> You know, they're coming in and saying a bot, and they had a couple of examples of this at different agencies, but Treasury had a great example. They was going from a two hour a day activity for a person to 11 seconds. And that person was like, thank you. Yeah. You know, that, that's not what they came for. That, that's, right. It's not meaningful. They came to work for something else. Let me thank my guest, Jim Walker, Director of Public Sector Marketing for UiPath. Jim, again, thank you so much for your time. I'm Jason Miller. You've been listening to the discussion Innovation in Government, sponsored by Kerasoft on Federal News Radio, part of the Federal News Network. For more on this discussion, visit federalnewsnetwork.com and search innovation. 
Thank you for listening to the Innovation in Government show sponsored by Kerasoft on Federal News Radio, part of the Federal News Network. The entire discussion can be found on demand at federalnewsnetwork.com, keyword innovation. Tune in on Tuesdays at 1030 a.m. and 230 p.m. for the Innovation in Government show sponsored by Kerasoft and its partners. Learn from industry experts who enable innovation and make government more responsive and secure by advancing technologies. Innovation in Government examines a wide range of topics and evaluates their payoff. Cybersecurity, big data, cloud computing, and more. Innovation in Government, Tuesdays at 1030 a.m. and 230 p.m. on federalnewsradio.com and 1500 a.m. Search keyword innovation.